0: Jay really getting me going right now. Got some warriors in this room. Mm-hmm. I have to just without a barbell. There's actually one in the closet. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth Podcast, Season Seven, Episode Two. Now we just released Season Seven, Episode One. I think literally two days ago with 108 memes. So make sure you guys check that out. That's on Spotify, Apple Podcast, all major platforms. And you guys already know the deal. Please, please, please share, subscribe, whatever you can, whatever you guys can do to help us out. And also Rep for Responders. This is uh, it's not sponsored by this is powered by Rep for Responders. And let's not forget about Ice Shaker right here. A Rep for Responders Ice Shaker. Visit our website or ice Get the Reps Ice Shaker. 50% of all I, Reps Ice Shakers purchase goes back to our nonprofit. Check out Arsenal Athletics. Use the code RFR at checkout. And you get 10% off. We have our apparel there. You can buy a bunch of strongman and powerlifting bars, knee sleeves, elbow sleeves. I have their wrist wraps and their there. Uh, and one of the sleeves, I'm trying to remember, but they're really, really good. Um, Phil's a military vet and a huge supporter of for Responders. We have our book on Amazon, Building a Brazilian Street and Conquering the Job. So please check that out, Retro Responders book. And uh, yeah, we're in person live, as you guys can see. We got our man, Zach. Making it happen behind the curtain. So Zach, we appreciate you for being here today. Thank you, brother. And uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be very, very intense and uh, a story that hopefully uh, many of you take on with you for the rest of your life and pass it around. So without further ado, I'm gonna kick it over. Like
1: I always say, the man, the myth, the legend, the plant-based poppy, <laughs> the real Jumpman J. How is it going? Thank you, Frankie, for that lovely introduction for our reps for responders audience we have a great great episode for you today this was sparked by nick nick was like listen man i got a i got a friend that that goes to the gym with me she's got a great story. you guys got to get her on the show so you know uh you guys had that event i was unable to make it i was uh out of the country and um we got it done so today without further ado we are here with nikki balcow how are you
2: thank you i'm doing great how are you
1: i'm doing great i am um, very excited for this interview um i've heard a lot about you okay but <laughs> i don't
2: know if that's a good thing or no a bad it, thing. like all
1: all great things <laughs> okay. never bad things but um nick spoke very highly of you and then um forward me your instagram and as i start going through i'm like oh so she has a story to her so for us you know we like to start the journey where things get very interesting so mm-hmm. um I'll let you dictate that. Uh okay. normally we start with like high school sports and stuff like that, but you say you have a really interesting story, so we'll let you uh I do, get I in do. there.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, so you start. Um where'd you where'd you grow up?
2: So i we'll grew start up there. in Connecticut. Uh okay. I ended up moving all over. I lived in Connecticut, New Hampshire, California, Boston, now Jersey, but I originated in Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. So I was there from birth until about eighth grade, um, you know, I grew up pretty poor, um, didn't come from a lot of money, my parents ended up divorcing very, when I was very young, I was seven, my brother was two to three, and soon after that, uh, my stepfather came into the picture. Okay. So my mother and him were together, well, actually they're still together, um, they've never split, but it uh, okay. wasn't the easiest childhood. Um I mean, I guess if we want to get right into it, uh, my stepfather molested me for the majority of my childhood, starting from uh, seventh grade up until 10th grade. So, yeah, that's where I oh, started man. from, I guess.
1: <laughs> Ooh, set the tone with that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't expecting to hear that. Well, thanks for no. sharing that right off the yeah, bat. You know. So, like I said, we're, it's going to be. I mean, a very that's why
2: we're episode. here, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean,. There's just people that the go through things off. like that. Yeah, just yeah, rip the band-aid off. This is this story is going to inspire somebody to maybe speak up or
2: I hope so. find some
1: resiliency in that.
2: I really hope so. I I mean, fast-forwarding a little bit, but I actually ended up pressing charges later okay. in my life. I was uh, going to ask that question. Yeah, so I'll beat you to it. Okay. Um, but I was mid early to mid-20s, okay. and I ended up finally speaking up and... Oh. sharing what had happened to me i had kept it a secret my entire life
1: now what so there's one question i have to ask you um so when this was going on did you even try to say something at some no. point never. never you just didn't say anything never okay why, I why
2: was terrified terrified Okay. i was absolutely terrified i remember when it first started happening i was not sure if i should tell my mom do i tell my dad he was at uh, the next father figure to me aside from my father when well, you
0: say dad you're real your biological, yeah, my biological father. father yeah okay
2: and i just didn't tell anybody i was a kid <laughs> i was you know so confused about what was going on like 12
0: I, 11 um, I you said seventh grade right
2: seventh grade i was young for my grade t- yeah about 11 10 11 <laughs> yeah
0: and like the so the defense mechanism was just to I mean, Shut I, down. Don't we don't, I don't want to go back. I don't want to open it up. Oh, no. Wait, listen,
2: everything's on the table, so okay. don't worry. So
0: what? What? when this was happening, obviously you knew it was not normal. Or did it get to the point where it became like this is my new normal and I just go on with my everyday life?
2: I don't remember really having that thought of like, oh, this is normal or not normal. I just knew it, I wasn't safe. And then it became, I mean, it became my new was normal. Was your brother
0: still living with you? In, like, the moving around? Yeah. So it happened in Connecticut, and then you guys moved to? New Hampshire. And it still happens in New Hampshire? Yes. Okay. And That's crossing state lines. You, move, you go to New Hampshire, and now, how was, like, your friends in Connecticut? Did you, like, did you have, like, close friends? Were you kind of, <clears> like... Kind of. I mean,
2: yes, I did. But I moved around a lot as a kid, too. So I I was in various school districts for most of my childhood. Um, So it was really hard for me to establish like really good friendships as a Mm -hmm. kid. I remember I might have I can count on one hand, really, how many like real childhood friends I have. Um, So that was really hard for me. And I from early on, like I couldn't trust anybody. So I from the very beginning had a very difficult time being vulnerable with people, opening up to people, connecting with people, because I had this dirty little secret that nobody could know, right? Mm -hmm. So I felt like if I got too close to somebody, then I would spill the beans. Or if I slept over a friend's house and I was talking in the middle of the night, like in my sleep, which I used to do, I was terrified that I would share the secret. So I kept everybody at arm's length for the majority of my life, actually, for that reason.
0: So let's call this guy pos okay so pos pos POS, when does pos come into your come into your life like when does he i guess start to date your mother
2: uh i was about eight so it was very shortly after my parents divorce or there it might have actually been like kind of overlapping i don't know my memories are like so
0: he's in your life already for like three four years before the first incident happens
2: yes however he had started grooming me from the very beginning how so Like, he would make uh, offhanded comments, like, if I were, I mean, this is going to be really weird, but whatever, I'll just say it, is that we were, like, sitting at a dinner table one time, and I was eating a sandwich, and I specifically remember him saying, in front of my mother, mind you, that I should keep in mind to eat the crust on the bread, because it would make my breasts grow. And I was eight years old. So that's a weird thing to say. Very weird. And... He would just make comments like the that trust. for I never the of that. F- yeah. I never heard of that either. But it, I mean, sick individual. It was so. very bizarre. Um, but that's how he would start to groom me. Is he would make those kinds of comments, very sexualized, uh, you know, urging me to explore my own sexuality at eight. eight, nine, ten years old. Yeah, and then we ended up actually having hosting a foreign exchange student from Germany.
1: Oh, no. oh shit.
2: <laughs> yes. I'm
1: sorry. I'm very animated. No, that's exclusion. okay.
2: So am I. Don't worry. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what had happened there because I was so young and I don't really remember everything. Mm-hmm. But she abruptly left oh, oh, um, yeah. and the cops were involved and she had made accusations about him. I don't remember all the details. They had interviewed me. Um, How old is she? She was in high school at the time.
0: Okay. So she's old. You said your brother was younger or older than you? Sorry. Younger.
2: He's five years younger. Okay. Yeah. So there is, you know, a lot of that. I'm getting a little
1: charged <coughs> up right now. I'm getting a little angry.
0: <laughs> what was the relationship with POS and your mom?
1: Yeah. Like uh, that's very what tumultuous. I'm, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, was, it, it sounds as if they didn't have a really great relationship. No.
2: And she was, I mean, he abused her too. Not physically or, or anything like that, but emotionally. emotionally. And, and like she, I have a lot of empathy for my mother because... Mm-hmm. She did the best that she could with the tools that she had. Yes. And when she I like left, that. I like that comment. When she like left that. my father, um, I mean, I love my father to death, and he is a wonderful man. But they didn't have a great relationship either. So uh, they divorced, and she immediately started dating this guy, my stepdad. And pos. <laughs> yes, exactly. Pos. Oh. <clears throat> and uh, she fell into the same pattern that she did with my father. And their relationship was all yelling, throwing things, name calling. I mean, it was very toxic. And he had such a hold on her that she could not escape him.
0: Substances involved? Was he a drinker?
3: Or yeah, he was of, a drinker, uh, smoker. That's be my next question. Good question, Frank.
2: Yeah. So he was definitely an alcoholic. It. Um and he just had complete control over her. And she's not as strong-minded as i would say even i am Mm -hmm. and so she wasn't able to even recognize within herself like what to do or how to fix the problem and how to better herself to get out of that situation
0: there's something that comes to my head and i'm going to ask this question later down the road um just, just just sorry forgive me keep keep going
2: oh no that's okay um yeah so i mean i grew up in a very chaotic and abusive household i guess well yeah you can say
1: um let me ask a question right so like let's fast forward a little bit and let's get to like high school um how did that affect your high school career because i'm pretty sure like you were like a in like middle school age when yeah. this is happening right now you get into high school right and you know ninth tenth grade is when girls start to see boys and want to date how did that affect your uh your dating life um or like your relationships with like friend groups and in men.
2: Well, I learned very early on that sex means love. Or at least so I thought when I was a kid because of, you know, what had started to happen. Yes. So I lost my virginity very early. I was incredibly promiscuous through high school through like early to mid-20s. And so I had a really unhealthy relationship with men and with what sex was Mm -hmm. what sexual consent was any of that um
1: it's kind of hard to navigate those waters if you don't really you didn't have a healthy startup right so and you didn't have a great example uh, of a man around you yeah so i mean that could dictate the
2: yeah so that just totally warped my perception of what love is and at the core of it like i just so deeply and badly wanted to be loved And to feel love so i chased that feeling by engaging with men and sexually relationship-wise emotionally like i was just desperate for it Mm -hmm. and i would go out and try to get it and get that feeling any way that i could
0: wow what year did you graduate high school
2: uh 2007
0: okay i'm just trying to see the time frame with technology and yeah. it's like myspace aim screens. myspace
2: aim yeah uh instagram had, my or not instagram facebook uh, MySpace came AIM. out. facebook just started to come out and it was when it was only for college kids okay oh.
1: so that's really early on in the facebook game <laughs> yeah 2007 i was really caught for two years frankie wow <laughs> I, I think a was game young more in high school yeah, he was a little Jeez. baby but uh okay so you graduate 2007 did you play any sports in high school?
2: uh so i gotta of, lighten this
1: up just a little bit i'm sorry yeah right.
2: no no please do so i danced actually for most of my life okay. i started dancing when i was seven and i did everything. ballet
1: classical uh
2: tap hip-hop jazz ballet point lyrical so you can cut a rug huh yes i all can right. <laughs> okay okay. <laughs> okay, all right yes it's one of my skills that i keep in my back pocket <laughs> all right so that was gonna,
0: i was gonna ask you the one last question about high school was any like ways to escape so dancing was like a hobby was there any yes. other ways to like where you just forgot about what everything was going down, or?
2: I mean, p- dancing was pretty much it. I did, um, I played basketball. I was not very good. The only reason I got onto my team was because I grew up in rural New Hampshire and my, cl- my graduating class was 36 kids. So, wow. really by default. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Nikki, you made the team.
2: <laughs> yeah, so a little bit of a participation trophy there, but it's okay. okay. Um, I wasn't great, but I loved it. So, I played uh, basketball and I played a little bit of tennis too. Okay. Oh, tennis? Yeah.
1: Okay. I used to think tennis was like not a hard sport, and then I went and played it and got my oh ass Oh my God, it's so me. hard. It is extremely hard. You have it's to be incredibly very athletic. It's difficult. Yeah. It is, it is not for the weak hearted, I will say. Yeah. yeah. And I
2: don't have that hand-eye coordination. Everybody also, probably what I wasn't very good at basketball, the whole dribbling thing, very <laughs> difficult. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Basketball's not easy by any no. by any means, but and
2: I'm very short, so that doesn't yes. really uh, work to my advantage here.
1: Listen, we're gonna put her uh, Instagram in the <laughs> description. They already right? pulled it out. Don't let me, you know. And she walked in here, and I was like, I was expecting her to be like five eight five nine, and so little Munchkin comes walking <laughs> in. She's like five three. I'm like, what the hell's going on here, man? I swore you were like five eight five nine. And I'm yeah. like, man, I got to. Sorry gotta, to
2: play these tricks on you.
1: It's all good. I'll take it. So. All right, so you have dancing. Um, was there any other outlet that you had other than like dancing, uh, some sports?
2: No, that's pretty much that it. That was it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I partied on the weekend like any high school kid does. And I had a, well, I guess I had a little bit of a problem with alcohol through high school because when I would drink, I would only drink to get blackout drunk. So really? I guess that there was. There was no in between. It was just. No. How
1: old were you when you think you had your first drink?
2: Uh, I was 14. No, okay. 13. 13, 14. Yeah. Shiza. Yeah, it's young man. Yeah,
0: before Ooh. we before we move into the college phase, I gotta ask, what like the last time that did happened, What was there something that like why did it just stop out of nowhere? Did something happen?
2: Sort of. So <clears throat> when it would happen, I would have no response. So you know how there's like a bunch of different responses to reactions to trauma, uh, like fight, flight, freeze. fawn, freeze. Free, yeah. uh, I froze. So I, in the entire time that it was going on, I never reacted. Like, I, it, was, it would happen in the middle of the night, so I would just pretend to be asleep the entire time. Uh, so the last time that it had happened, I had finally had enough. And while it was happening, I had told him to stop. And I think that scared him because I had never reacted before in the five, six, four years it was going on. Uh-huh. And then it never happened again. And that was that. Really? And then we just continued to coexist and live in our household until I graduated. Yeah. And I went as far away as possibly, Impossible. as human yeah. possibly. Yeah. I was going to say you probably went to think
0: that. anybody in the house had an inkling idea? Yes.
2: I think my mom knew. I I don't know if she knew exactly what was going on.
1: But she knew something was but going on.
2: She knew something was going on. Others They're, do
1: usually know that. In, that yeah, I'm going to say this: where there's smoke, there's fire, right? So when that foreign exchange student left the house abruptly and police were involved, that might have been the first yeah. indicator. Where
0: was that? That that happened in?
2: Uh. That happened in Connecticut. Okay,
0: so we're in Connecticut to New Hampshire at Verizon New Hampshire,
1: right now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like I said, crossing state lines even worse. All right, um, I got to lighten it up just a little bit. <laughs> you know, we, we're gonna, we, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna. Dibble and dab.
2: Yes. Otherwise, it's just too depressing. Yeah. Let's be honest.
1: So you go to college. Yeah. All right. What college do you go to? What do you major in?
2: I went to, well, first I went to the Design Institute of San Diego. And I originally went for. Oh, you really
1: went to the other side of the country. Oh, yeah. So the graduate wow. I'm dipping, I'm, I'm going to I'm Cali. out. Cali. She, yeah. went, she went northeast like <laughs> to far west yeah. Cali. My
2: dad wanted me to stay local. He wanted me to stay close by. He and I are really close. And Where I said. Where he living? He's in Connecticut.
1: The whole time you stayed there? Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, and I'm like, no, I'm out of here. I need to get out. Like, goodbye. let me ask you a
1: question. I'm gonna go dark again. <laughs> did you did you buy did your biological father know?
2: He does now. He does now. Yes.
1: So he didn't know this whole time. No. I would have went to jail.
0: And there was no uh, thought ever through what I happened. Like, do I tell dad?
2: I don't know. Probably. But at a certain point, it just became so normalized that yeah, I, I was like oh this is just life
1: yeah i think w- what it sounds like to me is that she just like disconnected absolutely yeah like out and of then, experience yeah just let me yeah you know go into another place while this is happening because this is going to be par for the course yeah and then whatever i just go back to reality when it's done and i just kind of keep going on with my life yeah
2: and what's interesting is that after it had happened so it stopped in, in um sophomore year so for the rest of high school i remember just Honestly, blacking it out or blocking it out. Like I didn't even. It wasn't a conscious thought when we were living in the same household, having family dinners. Like it was just like, oh, this is my stepdad. Like yeah. not this
1: monster. Monster, monster that. Response to, yeah. Yeah. You know what's funny? I I um, I had a conversation uh, with my therapist one time, and she asked me about something that happened when I was a child, right? And if she didn't ask me the question the way she asked me the question, I didn't even remember that it happened. Mm. It it was such a dark thing that happened to me that I buried it in the back of my mind, and she asked the question in a certain way, and I was like, oh. And it kind of like kicked up my memory, and then I started explaining the incident. But I had legitimately like blacked it out, and it just didn't exist anymore. So when she says that, it kind of resonates with me just a little bit because a lot of a lot of the times when traumatic things happen to us, we just repress them in our mind. We throw them in the back of our mind, and we kind of just keep it pushing. Hundred percent, you know, um, because that's how you. I mean, in essence, it's that's that's resilience. You know what I'm saying? Being able to push forward in you know circumstances like that. So um, let's go back to college. So all right, insane. so all you right. A, you're in San Diego. So what do you major in? College
2: uh, interior design. Okay. Yeah, so I oh, did feng that. shui, you know? Okay. <laughs> A little bit of feng shui. I okay. actually really wanted to get into architecture. Okay. Um, But for whatever reason, I decided to throw that out the window and totally, well, not totally, switch uh, switch directions. I ended up going for fashion design and product development. And I switched schools, went to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, and I lived in San Diego for two years. I did my last year in LA, and then I moved back home.
1: What did you do when you came back home?
2: Well, I only went back home because I had gotten married at oh. uh, twenty year barely twenty years old.
1: Barely twenty years old. Yes. I
2: was a I think I was twenty for like a month.
1: Okay, so you know I gotta dissect yeah. this marriage, right? <laughs> so you're a twenty year old newlywed. Yes. How do you meet this young man?
2: So we started dating in high school. And oh. yes, and we had broken up uh, I think right before my senior year. Okay. <laughs> and he was in the military. So he was in the Air Force, and he went off into the Air Force. He was stationed in Qatar, and I was in California, and we just started our relationship up again, long distance. So the majority of our relationship was long distance. He came home one time for leave, engaged, uh, or proposed, rather. We got engaged. Six months later, we got married. We were not even in the same country. He was, uh, at this point, he was actually in Okinawa. And he went filled out whatever paperwork he needed to. I went to the courthouse, said my vows to my roommate at the time. It was all very bizarre. Um, okay.
1: Uh, <laughs> listen, I'm, I'm here for it, man.
2: So we we got married by proxy. And then um, after I graduated, I wanted to be a wife. I wanted to settle down. I wanted a family. I'm not even 21 years old at this point. You're like, a baby. I don't. Like, I can't even legally drink. Yeah,
1: you're, you're literally are But this is, again,
2: going back to, like, Wanting to be loved and yes. wanting love and wanting the perfect, like, happy family so badly mm-hmm. that I would do whatever I had to do.
1: Okay. So yeah.
2: so I abandoned but- my dreams for a hot minute. And I was like, I'm just going to go, you know, be this military wife, travel wherever he has to be, support him. Like, I'll figure something out along the way. Uh-huh. And then shortly after, he got kicked out of the military. The and- court-martial? Yeah. Wow. <laughs>
1: What'd yeah. he do? Do you know uh, what he did? Or he just kind of told me I really. in the military. All right, no need we don't even need to dig into Yeah. That. No. All right. So he gets court-martialed, then what happens next?
2: Uh so then this he
1: shit is getting good. <laughs> this is getting so good.
2: So then he uh we moved back home in New Hampshire. Okay. Uh we lived together in his uh so now you're back in New Hampshire. Yeah, his okay. grandmother's like top um like top story or top floor or whatever. Was, okay. like, little, like apartment setup sort of thing. Gotcha. Um and we broke up like six months later after living together. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Yeah. Really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, okay, right. So, so you, you break up, you get a divorce, right? Um, that goes through. And then what's the next move after that?
2: Uh, so, I – well, we actually ended up getting divorced for like two years. But yeah, it's a process. Yeah. Separated. But mm. I had um, – ended up moving down to – here to New Jersey, actually, like, Maybe six months later. You're still
0: twenty, or were you twenty one yet?
2: I was twenty one at this point. Yeah. Okay. So wow, I've been in New Jersey since I was twenty one. Look at that. (laughs) Look at that.
1: Okay. So um,
0: (laughs) does the college experience? Before we keep moving, the college experience. We'll go like we got the Darth Vader side and like the uh, Luke Skywalker side. We'll do. How was like your college experience overall?
2: It was really tough. Mm. Uh yeah, I stopped dancing. I just stopped dancing. When, Um, When and why? About I think after my first year, because I just well I couldn't afford it. Number one, um, I ended up living in my car and motels. I was working two jobs, working uh, going to school full time, and I was, was just it trying check to check in s- with mom at all at that time. Yeah, she was still at this t- at this point, like really involved in my life, and we hadn't yet addressed any of the, yeah. the yeah. other stuff yet, so it was all very like status quo. But I really struggled in college because I'm like battling all of these demons and Mm -hmm. just this really hard stuff that I'm trying to process. Actually, at that point, I wasn't even trying to process. I was just trying to survive and just live. And yeah. yeah, so I was in complete survival mode. Honestly, I would say the majority of my life up until probably recently. And that's a stressful place to live.
1: Absolutely. I so, mean, yeah,
0: the I couldn't even imagine. A lot and, of people don't make it out. Like, you know, and literally. at that
2: point, too, I had ended up developing um, anorexia and bulimia. So I started uh, about a six-year battle with that. And that just, like, completely deteriorated me for those chunk of years.
1: Okay, so that brings us to, what, like, 27? Um, 26?
2: Before that, I would say, I mean, really, I started having, like, issues with food um, when I was in high school still. And that was a way for me to, like, establish control, right? Because I had no control when I was a kid. I had no control in my home. I had no control over anything is what it felt like. So I had started having a really bad relationship with food and my body early on, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, I think is completely a descendant of the abuse and the trauma that I had gone through. Closely correlated, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so that was probably until 24, 25. I might be a little bit off base here because the the years kind of all blend together (laughs) at this point. So we'll
0: have to go, let's go, so you you leave. Early to mid-20s. So we'll go back to you leave that day on the top of the window, That you leave the castle, right? Yeah. I'm out of (laughs) here, now we're.
2: Wait, where am I leaving at this point?
0: You're leaving uh, Grandma's house.
2: Oh, okay. So I moved in with my uncle down here in New Jersey in Lodi, and um, I just started a new life down here. Okay. And at the time, I was still, <clears throat> I was still struggling with my eating disorders, um, and I hadn't really established, <clears throat> sorry, a lot of friends at this point. And I'm just trying to navigate like a new, a new state, a new city. Um, I was trying to get my career jump started, and in the city, I thought New York City was like this big, glamorous, like, amazing place the to big live in The Big Apple, they say. It'll be fun, yeah. They say, yeah, You can make it there. You can make it, can make it a, anywhere, yeah. yeah. And as a kid, like, I just had this dream of moving to New York. I thought it was the best city in the world, and I just, like, needed to live here. Like, I would come down Did and Did you just, ever visit it before? Yeah, I would visit it, and I was just mesmerized. It's the rudest place I've so. ever
1: been, i tell you that. <laughs> Dead ass, son. Like, there's just rude people who, like, you can't say good morning or good afternoon.
2: <clears throat> yeah, my uh, bubble got burst really quickly in understanding- that's not the case. <laughs> Listen, I love New York, but it was not Listen, what I'm, I thought it was. I'm a New
1: Yorker through and through, and I would tell somebody, never come here. Yeah. It is not for everyone.
2: It was not what I thought. Mm-hmm. But, but I also think, like, I was a kid and also very much trying to escape my reality. Mm-hmm. So I just latched on to really whatever I could, thinking, like, oh, this is going to get me out of this hell that I'm living yeah. in, right?
1: Wow, man heavy dude yeah and we're it like, all it we're all 27 minutes in bro this is heavy <laughs> yeah, this is getting really they don't long. get heavy to like 35 no. minutes no. this thing is, is heavy shots were fired minutes. right off the bat well
2: when you guys said to start with my ch- like as early back as my childhood i'm like
1: oh shit well no see we had, we had no there's idea there's really
2: no way to ease into
1: that <laughs> yeah i mean that was yeah they'd, they'd, no it was just yeah psh, laying, just threw it out there <laughs> okay so
0: low right trying to fight trying to like get a job in the city and What happens?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I lived there for a while, a few years. How's your uncle
0: relationship? Really good. Okay. Yeah,
2: I he's he's that's brother or mom's brother? Uh, mom's. Okay. Yeah, um, I had had a few boyfriends at that point. Um, I still nobody knows. Still nobody knows. Okay. No. Um, but at this point, I'm really working heavily to like beat these eating disorders and like try to overcome that. Um, How'd you uh,
1: How'd you combat that?
2: In a very unconventional way I think so like it was so bad where I I really should have gone to a therapist I should have gone to a doctor I should have gone to a treatment center um and really the only reason I really started to address it was because my best friend from high school she's still my best friend to this day and it's actually she plays a role in my story with my stepfather later on too with confronting me about uh him and so she flat out told me Like, listen, I know you're making yourself throw up. I know that you're starving yourself. Like, I hear you. I can see it. She's like, you need help. Like, she was very direct with me. And I honestly think she saved my life. Because nobody else would say anything. Throughout
0: that time, you never went to, like, a regular uh, doctor, like
2: a... I went to the ER once because um, I was having really bad stomach issues because I was throwing up like four yeah, times acid. a day and I was yeah, in so much pain, and of- but I couldn't, I couldn't tell them what it was from. Like I yeah. knew why I was not feeling well because of that. But I mean, it was very obvious that I was battling that. I had lost so much weight. I was a skeleton and my family, nobody said anything. None of my friends said anything. Why do you
1: think they didn't say anything?
2: I think it's easier to
1: turn a blind eye.
2: To turn a blind eye, and it's also, I mean, it's a tough it topic it's to not bring. My up.
0: daughter, she's fine, like accepting. It's an uncomfortable well.
2: yeah. place, and I think that a lot of people don't know how to handle something of that nature, or having tough conversations and being on, like, direct about it. And I'm not really sure beyond that.
1: No, I think. I mean, I think you. Got it right. I mean, yeah. to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone you love is extremely hard. Some people r- rather leave things unsaid than say something.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I, and I almost feel like it's more of um fear of the outcome. You know, like sometimes people hold this uh, like in this place, this like pedestal, if you will, right? And it'll probably break them if they hear that you're struggling or going through certain things. So they just rather not say anything. That's just what I've what, what I've experienced in life. It's just People just don't want to have these uncomfortable conversations because they're scared of what the outcome might be and so they just leave it alone and then you know thank God I mean you're still here and but like you always hear that stuff at like funerals or, or like wakes you know like I should have said I should have said something yeah, I should have did this. something but by that point it's already too late because you know we don't we don't have uh you know um a memory card on life right it's like one and done dude like you know you can't pick up and start off again you know it's just, it is what it is but um, I just know just from experience that most people refuse to have these difficult conversations because they're scared of the outcome.
2: And scared to also hear the truth. Yes. And face the reality yes. of what's absolutely of yeah. what's happening. Absolutely. And I think it's also easier to just think like, oh, somebody else will address right it. That's not my yeah. job. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. So part of me feels a little bit let down by the people around me because mm-hmm. I mean, I was Wasting away in front of everyone, and people would make comments do about.
0: Do we have a weight at that, that time? Would you?
2: get have a guess? Sub ninety.
1: Get out of here! What do you weigh now?
2: Uh, I weigh about one thirty.
1: Yeah, I mean she's pretty jacked too. know yeah. she's short, and I'm, I and I'm, I'm a small person, so yeah, she's tiny. She's tiny. <laughs>
2: hey, not that tiny. Okay, I'm jacked.
1: <laughs> and she's jacked. <laughs> the, she's jacked. But I'm, I'm thinking. I'm the, like the
0: ant, right? A pound for pound, strongest.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, the the thank j- you. Oh, yeah. But and
1: like Richard Hawthorne, like you know, I see her lift, and I'm like, you know, I. I'm pretty good with, like, guessing weights, right? So I'm like, oh, she's probably going to be, like, you know, 128, 130-something, whatever. Um, But I might have been a little off, too, because I thought you were taller. (laughs) Then I just, when you walked in, I kind of put it together. But um, so how do you rectify everything and then get, like, going again.
2: Oh, right. I totally trailed off. Sorry. Yeah. Um, that, I got to, like, that, that's that my child. Like, We're in the labyrinth here, Yeah, Lord. that will happen. I
1: corral things.
2: Um. So at that point, after I really realized, like, okay, this is a problem. Like, I'm really unhealthy. I, this is not okay. Um. I just researched all the time about it. Like, I would just read mm. over and over and over all the terrible obsessive, things obsessive. that it does to your body to, like, I guess almost scare myself or like make me see like what you are doing to yourself is killing you. This is real. Hmm. And this is real. And if I could see it in black and white and if I could get it through my brain, like not eating is doing X, Y, and Z to your body. If that could just shock me enough to just stop, then so be it. And it eventually did. I would start to almost be in a competition with myself where I would count the days of how many days I could go without starving myself or without binging and purging. Okay. one Yeah. And then I would, I would get to one day, great. And then second day, I'd do it again. Ugh. And then I would just build little by little by little until eventually I just stopped.
1: Okay.
0: All on your own. Yeah. So what about like- when your friend called you
2: out? Um... Oh, that, that was like...
0: That was early before the research?
2: Yo yeah. That was years and years prior. Like well, like high school? No, Um before I had moved down to New oh, Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think I was actually still married at the time.
1: And he huh. didn't say anything?
2: No. <clears throat> but we were kids, <laughs> too, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I don't know.
1: All right, I got to lighten it up now.
2: Yeah, uh, but he... I mean, he knew, but he didn't, like...
1: Didn't say anything.
2: Yeah. Shit, yeah, so I have a lot of abandonment issues.
1: <laughs> mm. I can see why. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's reel it back in. Uh, how do you get into lifting? Or is that way later? Did I skip something? No, if I'm skipping anything, please let it's, me know. Uh,
2: it's all kind of connected. Like I, well, I also started lifting and working out very early um, because I. Wanted to control how many calories I was burning and all of this. So I would exercise like obsessively. Really? Yeah. Like, right. so on top of the, <clears throat> the anorexia, the bulimia, like I would just work out all the time just to like burn as many what calories. What kind of workouts were we doing? Um, I would do high intensity, like cardio stuff. Like I would just run. I would do yoga. I mean, I would do anything. Um, But I would, I started to, <clears throat> sorry, my throat was really dry. Um, I started to get into lifting weights, like towards the end of the eating disorders because I was trying to like,
1: so we're chronologically on, pace. yeah,
2: we're on pace. So I was trying to like establish a healthy lifestyle and, you know, get strong and and overcome these, these eating disorders. Um, and so that's really how I found myself in the gym, but I didn't start really seriously lifting until probably a few years after that. I lived in Boston at the time. So I had ditched New Jersey. Boston. Yeah. Oh,
0: man. <laughs> So you said goodbye to the dirty Jersey? And...
2: <clears throat> Temporarily, because I'm you, back now. you went now. to Boston? Yeah. Yeah. Don't, I don't want to talk Fucking about it. Fucking Boston. <laughs> so I had uh, gotten out of a relationship, and it, at the time, was devastating Tumultuous
1: to me. relationship. Um, or was it?
2: No, not so not much. Not so much
1: tumultuous. The outcome was um, devastating?
2: The outcome was devastating. Did feel
1: safe with this person?
2: <clears throat> yeah. Oh, my God. I loved him to death. Loved him So why would it
1: end if you loved
0: him to
2: death? Um, we, well, I was really not in a place where I should have been in a relationship. Like, I was not okay. Like, I needed to get myself together before <clears throat> I could be with somebody else. Like, I just had too many issues. And I was lashing out. Like, I just had so many unhealthy behaviors and actions and reactions and responses and ways of communicating. Like, that was a very, very unhealed version of myself.
1: Wow. Damn, It's getting better and better, bro. <clears throat>
2: yeah. So we had broken up, honestly, because uh, it was me. I was the problem. I mean, he wasn't that great, but really. <laughs> you you hit
1: him <laughs> with, it's not, it's, it's not you, it's me. I got to get out of here.
2: <laughs> well, he broke up with me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I had almost never really broken up with somebody. Did he have a Boston mm-hmm. accent? No, he was in Jersey. Okay, all right, cool. I
1: mean, <coughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I got caught up on Boston. I'm so yeah,
0: we're not in Boston yet. Yeah, we're about to be.
1: Yeah, so that Broadway. was
2: so devastating to me that I fled the, the state. Like, I, I could not be here. Yeah. Why
1: yeah. you fled she the state fled to, like, the the
0: the the Boston? Yeah, so why Boston?
2: Uh, my best friend uh, okay. lived there, actually. I was gonna say,
0: please, not for another guy. Yeah, no, no, no. Not
2: at this point. Um, so she had lived there. Um, this is the same one same that had, one? Okay, same good, one that had called job.
1: me right, out. So we got a, we got a best friend. We got a Biff. Yes. Okay. Oh,
2: she's, she's really great. Love it. Love it. Okay. Yeah. She's my, I hope she's going to
1: listen to this
0: one. I hope so yeah. too. I think yeah. she will.
2: Okay. Um, Hey Carolyn, love you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we had moved in together. Um, and I really did this girl, so dirty because when what the fuck is going on? Please bring it. <laughs> well, we had lived together once before in New Hampshire. It was after I had gotten divorced, and I needed a place to live. I wasn't going to live with my mother and my stepfather. Because, Absolutely not. Obviously, um, pos. Yeah. So we had lived together, and about six months into our one-year lease, I decided okay. I got to move to New York. I I'm out, and I just I broke our lease. Uh, I mean I I obviously paid for like, you know, what my end of it was, but that's a really shitty position to put somebody to put in. Put somebody, absolutely. Uh, but I was very selfish. This makes sense. When I was younger. Yeah.
0: This makes perfect total sense. Yeah.
2: I was all about myself. And not in a like, oh, I don't care about You're you still kind a of survive. way. You're still but I'm still law. in survival, survival mode. mode. So yeah. it to me, like subconsciously, I need to take care of myself because nobody else is going to. Like I am responsible for me and unfortunately there were so many casualties by default because i it was what i had to do to move forward in my life so i broke our lease and then i moved to new jersey i ended up doing the same thing to her in boston i left new jersey after that relationship we moved in together and about 6 months later boston wasn't it for me was not loving it there and i couldn't really do anything with my career because I couldn't find a good job that was heavily into like yeah, fashion design, fashion. product development, like that's sort of where my my roots came from. I mean, I did everything from sourcing, tech design. I mean, so many different facets of the You're industry. Just up little
0: jobs on the way to pay for this rent.
2: Yeah, um, or I just wasn't working at all, and that doesn't really take you too long to yeah. not be able to sustain that very long. Uh, and then I got a new job in New Jersey. I'd come down. I interviewed at the children's place. And to me at the time, I was like, this is the best thing ever. And I just left. And I broke our lease yet again. It's amazing that she's still my best friend. <laughs> like she, she must is.
1: love you. You hear she me? She does. She does. <laughs> Damn.
2: Um, yeah. So then I came back to Jersey and I've been here ever since. And that was probably eight years ago. Okay. Give or take. to make it to the city? No. No. She said fuck no. the city. My my whole thought process was if I can this was like when I first moved here and I was living with my uncle, I'm like, oh, I'll just live here for like three to six months, I'll save some money and then I'll start, you know, I'll move into the city. No way. No, yeah. On a thirty thousand yeah. dollar year salary, yeah. no way. Not in
1: New York.
0: No. It's not gonna happen. So now you're back in Jersey. So now what I'm back in Jersey.
2: Um this was probably twenty fifteen.
1: Okay. I mean, 2014, 2015.
2: Give her that kind of around that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started powerlifting. So that's when I started okay. that whole that whole thing.
1: How was that journey?
2: Really interesting.
1: How'd you stumble upon powerlifting? Um, so this is when I was in Boston
2: question. still, and I was seeing this guy at the gym. It wasn't anything serious. It was like you know whatever. And he suggested that I should start powerlifting. And at the time, I was actually interested in bodybuilding. And meanwhile, this is like. A year to two years after, not even two years after, I had recovered from mm-hmm. the anorexia and the bulimia, and so really, bodybuilding is the worst, worst
1: thing you could do. The worst thing I, I could have say, done. So it's really slope, yeah,
2: yeah. So it's really a blessing that I was oh, that steered must. in the other direction. I did my first meet, and I fell in love with it. And okay. I'm like, wow, this is to feel strong, to be strong, and then to have a goal to work towards. I was all about it. And I dove head right. into it or head first into it for seven to eight years. And it was my whole life.
0: So your first meet, who did the programming? were you just myself? Really? Yeah.
2: I mean, I wasn't very good, but <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, I, 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 mean, I did not do very well at all, but it was my first meet and I wanted to see what it was about. And I wanted this new challenge for myself and mm-hmm. I took it on and I did it. And then I ended up hiring a coach. Or I what had class
0: did you do your first meet at? Uh, 132 or 123?
2: one third yeah one thirty-two, yeah that was kind of the weight class that i had almost always competed in i did a couple of 148 meets but that was only when i didn't want to compete or when i didn't want to cut cut weight yeah yeah Yeah. and i i mean i'm very much an extremist Mm. uh and whenever i commit to something i commit to it like full throttle and i have a tendency to be a little bit obsessive over it um so i would do like really extreme cuts sometimes too, like even like 10, 12, 13 pounds, which on my frame is a lot of weight. It's a lot of weight, (laughs) yeah. Yeah.
0: Did that um, bulimia or the bulimic, the anorexic voice ever come back in your head during that time? Yeah,
2: it did. And I would say even from when I had like recovered from it, like I still very much struggled with my relationship with food and the relationship that I have with my body and the way that I view my body and myself. Like, that had been
0: like, like, come on, Nikki, just keep cutting weight. Keep cutting weight. Yeah. I like
2: so that, I mean that 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 messes with you. And especially when oh, yeah. you're controlling things and you're trying to manipulate things, like that becomes very obsessive and disordered. So it I never relapsed and I never like fell back into those patterns super hard, but I mean it still had some kind of hold over me. Mm.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I can relate empathy with that part of the holdover for sure. Um, so, seven. You hire a coach. How does that go?
2: Well, it went well in terms um, of my powerlifting performance. Uh, not so great in the sense that he was an a manipulative pos. Isn't is such a
0: shame? You hear this like a
2: lot.
1: You hear this in the po- man. In, in the powerlifting strongman world. You hear yes, a lot. Yes, and yeah, that's a,
2: it's actually. I mean, it's a a hot topic in powerlifting right now in yes. general with men who abuse, you know, positions of power and blah blah blah. So, so you
1: were involved with this man?
2: No, not like
1: not like that. No, okay, we good, never good. like
2: dated okay, or cool. right. did so anything sure. like that. But I mean, I've had a a, a handful of run-ins with. People in that sport, um, in those positions that have not been appropriate and nothing, I mean, nothing like crazy, crazy, but but just, you know, enough where it's, you know, the undertones are there and
1: okay. Um,
2: yeah, but I, I ended up hiring a few different coaches. I had a few different, um, teams that I was on and I ended up getting pretty good. Um, all in Jersey, all in Jersey. What kind
0: of programming have you done?
2: Um,
0: like what's
2: that conjugate i mean not like like a specific like type of program more periodization yeah honestly i just did whatever my coaches told me to do and how many
0: days a week were you lifting five and how those other two days what would you do
2: i don't remember i guess just
0: chill like i was gonna say like if you had to chill could you rest could you rest (laughs) was that like a fight for you like if I'm not oh yeah if no I'm not I doing could, something in the gym today, like I'm going to, I have to, I have to do something. Oh
2: yeah, no, absolutely. And that's honestly something that has continued to be a problem, honestly, until recently where it's okay. It's okay to be still and it's okay to mm. do nothing and yeah. just be, instead of having to do all the time, you can just exist and be. So that's like a newer realization I've come to in my life and it's <laughs> kind of nice. Um, but yes, very much problematic in terms of, not being able to <coughs> slow down or relax or rest or not be doing something, okay. often in the form of exercise or sports.
1: <clears throat> so I gotta ask. Um, so so when do we find out about the cancer?
2: Ah, the, well, actually, what about PLS. Wait, yes, we have to go back to that. That's a whole. That. That's oh my god. That's a whole other thing. Did we almost miss it. Yes, no, we no almost right. flew Did right we, by yeah, that. Okay, cool, right, cool. cool lights so. are gonna
1: get a little
0: darker.
2: <laughs> Uh, So this was mid-20s, and I was living in New Jersey. With uncle? No, I was living I'm in... like
0: Uncle Rico, Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> uncle
1: Rico.
2: I was living in Boston at the time, I think.
0: Six months in Boston, right?
2: I'm pretty sure. Anyway, it's a little bit fuzzy, but... Yeah. Sort of in that time frame. Okay. And uh, me and a few of my friends, we had gone down to Foxwoods down in Connecticut, partied all weekend. Mm. I got blackout <laughs> drunk and called my father crying on the hotel bathroom floor at 1 a.m. in the morning just telling him what my stepfather had done. Oh. So imagine my father getting that call. Getting that call. Bless his soul. Like... That sucks, <laughs> but I just, I don't know, something must have just triggered my brain when I was in that state where I just felt so compelled that I had to tell him. I couldn't keep the secret anymore. There was no alcohol, way.
0: Alcohol tends to bring the, those feelings a lot, serum, strong, a, lot, yep. a lot stronger to us. And yep. just, I don't want to say a win for alcohol, but a win for alcohol that night. Yeah. Speak yeah.
2: up. And the next morning I woke up, and you know when you do something... The night before, and you wake okay. up and you're like, "Oh, oh shit, shit. Uh-huh. I have to deal with this now." Yeah, I had to deal with it. My father knew, and I think probably subconsciously I told my father first because if I told my father, there was no way I was going to get away from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah Like yeah. I had to address it. Okay. So I'd like to think that maybe my subconscious was doing me a favor by mm, telling him specifically. Called divine for intervention. Sort of the fight. Yeah. So then that was a whole thing. Um, And then eventually I ended up telling my mother. And that did not go over so great. Yeah,
1: what was her response to this?
2: Um, She did not really believe me. Really? Or believe me. She didn't want to address that I was probably telling the truth or give any uh, weight to it. Hmm. And so then I ended up telling my uncles because... Then the whole family started to find out about what had happened, and that's a whole trickling effect. And then my grandparents knew on her side. So my dad's side of the family is pretty big. I have a lot of aunts and uncles, a ton of cousins. We're all very close. My mother's side is a little bit smaller. So it's just my mom, me and my brother, and my two uncles, and my two grandparents. So it's a little bit smaller-knit community there. So once they knew, then I really had to address it. And my uncles, they were... Mm. like they really saved me in terms of like navigating the situation because i wasn't i wasn't thinking when i told my father and then i told my my mother and i told everybody else that i was going to end up pressing charges because at this point i was just like okay i have this dirty secret that i'm airing out now so i guess we're just going to have to deal with this family drama and they really helped me consider pressing charges and so i did
1: they offer an alternative. That's what I want to know.
2: Um, I did have...
1: Bobby, get the bats. Get the bats. You know what I mean?
2: I did have people who were like, listen, I can make this happen. And I'm like, no.
1: Well, God bless your soul for taking the high road. (laughs) Okay? I'm going to give you that. Good fellow action. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up in a a hole somewhere in a cornfield.
2: (laughs) There were some very serious um, inquiries about wanting to make that happen. And I said, no. Um, because at that point i had decided to press charges and i was like this is something that i have to do for myself i have to stand up for myself and i have to fight for myself and for justice for this and i i need to take the reins here i need to have the control i love control apparently so apparently (laughs) yeah so i i pressed charges and that was a little bit difficult to navigate because it had happened in two different states so that's what i'm
1: saying that 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 there's really a whole makes, jurisdiction yeah. sort of thing because then you got to get in contact with the jurisdiction that it that it took place in, and then if there was any other events, we, it's it's almost like you got to re-follow the trail of incidents. Yes. And if it crosses state lines, and now you got to contact this jurisdiction, they got to do their own separate investigation. It becomes a dilly of a pickle, if you will.
2: <laughs> it it did become Fine. a dilly of a pickle indeed. Um, so I <laughs> originally uh, I did press charges in New Hampshire, and they took over the case. Um, He was actually friends with the chief of police in my hometown. So my case was not really taken very seriously. It wasn't really pushed along. Um, There were more serious things to take care of in a town of less than 5,000 people. I find that hard to believe. Um, Yeah, and so he kind of jerked me around a bit throughout the investigation. Um, There was a time even I had... Driven up from New Hampshire, stayed at my best friend's house overnight in Boston. I was gonna drive up to New Hampshire to give I think it was a a statement or something. Or we were trying to I think get him on a recording admitting it. And they were gonna like hook me up to mics and this whole like undercover thing. It was very cool. Um, and I drove all the way up there. The night before, he for whatever reason he couldn't do it and he had to call it off. And we got tipped off, perhaps? Um, oh, this was a different jurisdiction. No, it? this was this the chief of police in my hometown. I think he just didn't want to do it because it he didn't want up. to get his friend in trouble. Yeah. Um. So then we ended up taking it to state police. They didn't really do anything with it, and it just kind of laid dormant for a while until a part time, under um, or part time investigator, part time cop, private, private investigator. Yes. PI, thank you. Um, he somehow came across action. my case and he reached out to me wanting to oh, take wow. it on. Yeah. And I'm like beyond grateful, grateful yeah. to this man because he put the wheels in motion. Um, eventually this is at this point, almost four years later. Um, he is finally, um, indicted. And then six months after that, where you go to trial and it was the whole thing, like whole jury, like I had to testify, Um, Let
1: me ask you a question. How was the, uh, how was testifying in the court? That must have been an emotional roller coaster.
2: It was interesting because when I think back on it, like obviously it was not enjoyable. Like that's not how I'd like to spend my days. Is testifying on stand for the other party to try and make me look crazy. This is for Connecticut or still New Hampshire? Uh, Still New Hampshire. So we were not able to um, really use much from Connecticut in the case or in the trial. I don't really remember all the details as to why, but I'm sure something with... Well, with the statute of limitations. We yeah, I was going to say that. statute no. limitations. Yeah, so, so, so really we weren't able to charge him with probably as much as he really deserves to be charged with. But uh-huh. listen, I will take my wins where I can get them. Absolutely. Um, And sorry, what was the question? Testifying. testifying. Oh, testifying. Um, so yeah, at the time it wasn't great, but now in hindsight, when I think about it, like that was a really empowering moment for me because that was a time where I was able to finally stand up to him. Fight for yourself. And to fight fight for myself and also speak my truth and tell my story when this was a secret that I had kept my whole life. And it had destroyed, started to destroy me in so many ways. I mean, between the eating disorders, between the promiscuity and the terrible relationships that I had with men, um, the patterns that I was exhibiting in terms of who I was, Pursuing in terms of men, like I was not choosing good partners because of based off this guy, yeah, Your and reactions, yeah, and everything that had you know kind of shaped me into who I was based on what I had gone through. So I was at that point just wanting to get in front of him and be like, "Hey, like you did this to me, and everybody here is going to hear about it, and you're going to pay for it." I wanted justice. Was justice served. Yes, sure yeah, it sure was. Okay uh he was convicted of all charges well one of the charges ended up getting dropped but that was only i mean that was the a
0: jury was like every, unanimous decision did they say like how many jurors actually voted for all it? of them
2: they so it was interesting funny actually because they only wow. deliberated for less than an hour
1: oh so they went in there were
0: like
2: they knew going into
0: did anyone else speak like witness like, I mean, um, no witnesses but like anybody. so my best friend did friend, yeah.
2: and at this point we were not even really friends
0: she was still living in Boston.
2: She was living in Boston. Um, so she never
0: when you left, she never left.
2: No, she never left. She's and God, this poor woman, I have really put her through the ringer because we weren't friends, not because I broke the lease in Boston, but because I mean we were just like not vibing for a while. And I was, you know, trying to figure yeah. out my own stuff and wasn't really thinking about how my actions would affect other people and kind of the downfall of that. Um but she came and she testified because she's a great person and has a huge heart and she wanted to help me because that was really the only chance that i had was having her testimony she was like one of the most important parts of my whole case um my one of my uncles testified my mother testified she lied on stand um oh yeah we forgot to even go back to her so throughout all of this she never wanted me to press charges, and she uh-huh. tried so hard to get me to drop the charges, um, to not move forward with anything, and just like let everything go back to normal. For why? She didn't want to leave him.
1: Fuck she, that! Like battered woman yeah. syndrome, right? Shit. Yeah, I, don't I mean, to he, say it like that, but, but
2: that's exactly <sighs> what it was. And he, I mean, he has I, had is that. All she knew for so long, yes. I think, right? Yes.
0: What was her relationship with? Like, now we're going back with her parents.
2: Um, Do we know anything about that? Great. Really. She came from a wonderful home, a loving family. um, But I think that she actually had her own or has her own mental health issues that Mm. she's never addressed. Um, Or maybe she has. I I don't want to speak for her. I don't know her whole story, only from my point of view. But uh, from my perspective, she was never able to seriously address them. So that's why I said even earlier, like, she did the best that she could. With the tools that she had a yeah,
0: great quote by the way Yeah,
2: thank you mm-hmm. um yeah so she was not supportive and i gave her um so as i was going through the investigation before we had even gotten him <laughs> indicted actually she was she lied to the whole family and said that she wasn't with him anymore mm-hmm. i mean even when my grandparents would come up from they live in florida they would come up stay with her he would stay in a hotel she would get rid of all of the stuff in the apartment in the oh, house. What? Why? Why this was daughter? like, a, yes, this was an elaborate thing. So when it came out, let's say two years later, that they were still together, you, imagine you, my you grandparents
1: believe. would be like, what the fuck is yeah. going on here?
2: So at this point, um, they've all pretty much washed their hands with her. This is before we even got to trial. I was giving her, until we got to trial, for her to do the right thing, because She is my mother, and I have a lot of empathy for her, knowing her situation, too, Mm -hmm. and knowing her mental health battles, and just, I guess, empathizing with, that's a crappy situation to be in as a mom. And obviously, she didn't handle it the way that I wish she would have, Mm -hmm. Um, but I tried to give her some grace and some leeway to figure it out. Oh,
1: I love that word, grace. Grace.
2: Because I had been battling with this my whole life, so this was not news to me. But this was all news to her, supposedly. Um, so I, I wanted to give her some time to figure out what to do or how to navigate that. Um, when she lied on the stand and Did threw you, me and my brother under the bus, you and
1: your brother under the bus. Yes, jeez, Louise.
2: She, I mean, that was it. That was. So to this day, oh. Let me backtrack for a minute. So he, he did end up getting convicted on all, all charges. Um, two felonies, one misdemeanor, in prison for 12 years.
1: Okay, so he did some time.
2: Yeah, so I talk. did that. I put wow. him in jail. Hey, prison, okay. I should say. He's still there Yeah, today. prison. Yep, he's still there.
1: 12, that's right. Yeah. That's the fountain.
0: <laughs> and wait, you're saying that they're still together? Yep. What? she visits him?
2: As far as I know, I um, I don't have a relationship with her anymore.
1: Uh, I was going to say, I, I, that was going to be my next question. How's the relationship with mom? Yeah.
2: After that. Um, wow. We
0: might have to make this yeah. into like a Netflix documentary. Yo, so <laughs> for <laughs>
1: real, <laughs> bro. Listen, we're going to sell it. Listen, Netflix, <laughs> we're coming, all right? We got a nice little story for you. We need some credit. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. We got some good Louise. actors and actresses for this one.
2: Yeah, so um, they, <sighs> she stayed with him. And from my perspective, <laughs> oh my yeah. I didn't end the relationship with her entirely because she had stayed, decided to stay with him mm-hmm. um, because she didn't support me. Because her and I were never really close, actually. We had always had sort of a very tumultuous relationship.
3: Uh-huh.
2: As soon as I came out of the womb, I swear we started fighting. And me and my father have had the best relationship. Like, I was a daddy's girl from, from the start. Um, so I ended it more with her because I really want to be a mom. Like, that's like my life goal is I just really want motherhood. And I would never put my unborn children potentially at risk if I were to still have a relationship with my mother and she's with him. Oh, yeah. And what's going to happen? So he's in prison for 12 years. He's
1: going to come home. God
2: willing, I I have a baby or babies Mm -hmm. in the next handful of years. And he gets out of prison, he's and in- all this time, what, I have a relationship with my mother, she's around my children, my children, around and I'm speaking room. hypothetically at this point, obviously, but my children then have a relationship with their grandmother, and then in seven years, I have to turn around and say, sorry, um, you can't you go
1: over there, you there anymore. You can't yeah.
2: know your grandma anymore. Yeah. Blocked. So, because no way would I continue that relationship when he's out of prison, oh, and yeah. then potentially have him Anywhere near my children? Absolutely. I don't want him knowing anything about where they go to school. Nothing. So rightfully so. In an effort to protect my future family, there's absolutely no way. So I cut her off.
1: Power to you for that. That's not easy.
2: Thank you. Um, It's it has not been easy. Um, This was we're in 2023 now. 20. This is before the cancer. It was right before the cancer actually. Um, 2018.
1: 2018. Yeah. So he gets sentenced in 2018. Mm -hmm. So victory for you. And then we find out about cancer. How did we find out about this Uh, cancer? About
2: six months later, actually, give or take. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm keeping you on your toes. (laughs) Yes, you are. Um, Yeah, so about six months after that, um, I started... It started off not feeling really well. Like, a little bit run down. You know, I have a little bit of chest pain. A little bit of a headache. A little bit more tired than usual. Nothing crazy. All things that I can explain way to stress um, maybe I'm not eating enough red meat. Um, that was literally one of my thoughts I was like I must be anemic and I should eat more red meat so I started eating more red meat um, that didn't seem to help. Okay. Uh, it started very rapidly progressing mm-hmm. into um, I was so tired I couldn't make my bed. the color had completely lost like lost my skin um, I couldn't see really well mm. my vision was super blurry. Uh, I would start blacking out in between reps at the gym. And at this point, you would think a normal person would be like, hey, something's not right. I should get this checked out. But I'm still very much like, you know, I'm big into the powerlifting scene at this point. And I'm like at the top of my game. Like I would th- I think I was even starting to prep for another meet. And I wouldn't quit until basically I had to be cr- um, carried into the emergency room because I just refused to address it. Which kind of goes back to how everybody else in my life at one point or another had not addressed glaring issues like my eating disorders and all of that. So I kind of did the same thing to myself, where I think subconsciously I knew something very serious was going on. I had never been sick a day in my life. I didn't even have a general physician. I don't even think I went to the doctor for anything other than when I was in college maybe once. So all throughout my 20s, I never saw a doctor. I never needed to. I was so healthy.
1: So listen, so why
2: would I think, oh, let me go to the doctor for this headache until the headache became a migraine so bad that it felt like somebody was drilling into my head and I couldn't get out of bed and I ended up, uh, I had a vacation planned actually. So obviously I'm going to go on vacation. Right. I'm going on a girl's trip to Miami. I'm not going to miss that. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. Well, I went to the girl's trip in Miami and was in bed the whole weekend because I was so ill. Oh, my The very day that I flew back, I went right to the doctor, got all this blood work, wasn't sure what was going on. I I mean, I was so sick at this point. What did the hospital
0: say, though, when you got carried in?
2: um, Well, this was after I had gotten the blood work results back. So one day after I got home, they called me and told me I needed to go to the emergency room immediately because I needed a blood transfusion or multiple because my levels were at critical, a critical point. And at this point when I had received the news, I'm literally laying on my living room floor, like throwing up these weird nodules in my chest. I couldn't stand. I couldn't see. I couldn't do anything. So I get this call. I call my uncle, the one that I had lived with in Lodi on my mother's side. And he 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 was living in Lynnhurst at the time. So this is like a 45 minute drive between where I'm living in Piscataway and where he is. So he drives all the way down there because he doesn't want me going to the hospitals near me because they weren't very great. Um, drives me up to Hackensack, so it's about an hour north. Um, brings me into the emergency room and is literally carrying me because I can't even walk by myself. And I'm there all night and they give me two blood transfusions. Um, And then they were like, oh, yeah, so you're anemic and we're going to refer you to a hematologist. And I'm like, oh, so my thought process about the red meat was spot on. Great. Like, that's all it is. Well, that's not all it was because then I ended up going to the hematologist who referred me to the oncology team. And that was scary because it's all wrapped up into one building. And so my first thought was like, why am I being sent to a cancer center? Like, I'm just anemic. Like I just need some meat or some iron or something. Some B twelve maybe. No. So we did went through a series of tests over I'll say two to three weeks. Bone marrow biopsy, which is very painful by the way. Uh, Do no. not recommend. Zero stars. I know. Um not from experience, but I know. It's drilling into your bone and you're wide awake. Not a fan. Um, I well, get a call. Sorry? No,
1: go ahead. Go ahead. Just...
2: Uh, I got a call from my doctor. I told him to call me and give me the news over the phone if I if I like, couldn't wait until I saw him next, and he told me that I have acute myeloid leukemia, and I was twenty nine. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so well, my response to that was, that was um, I grabbed a bottle of wine and I walked outside and my fr- I told my neighbors because we were we had like a little close knit like community. And they decided that they were going to cook a barbecue and have a whole picnic for me. So I just walked outside with my bottle of wine and got drunk in the middle of the afternoon in my front lawn with all my neighbors. So that was my reaction to that.
1: Interesting. <laughs> yeah. What was, uh, what was the game plan after that?
2: Um, so after that, I ended up telling my best friend. Carolyn, the same one throughout this whole story. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we had started to rekindle our friendship and our relationship after the trial. Like, that kind of actually really brought us closer together. And she saved my life in so many ways. She immediately was like, what can we do? Like, what's the plan? What's your doctor's name? She came down from Boston on a train, like, I think, two days later, and stayed with me for the whole week, cleaned my whole apartment, like went Grocery shopping for me, like, took me to my appointments. Like, she just took over. And she did that throughout, honestly, my entire treatment, which was really amazing because otherwise I would have probably done it by myself. Like, I had done everything else in my life at this point. Um, so the treatment was I went through four rounds of chemo. The first round was a week straight of nonstop chemo, 24-7, pumping through your veins. Um, so that was in a picnic. Mm. And I had lost my vision in my left eye at the time. It's since restored, which is great, but that was a little bit scary. Um, And then I did two more week chemo treatments, but they weren't as intense. The first one was the worst. Um, And in between that, I had done two rounds of IVF because the treatment would end up putting me into early menopause and then therefore leaving me pretty infertile, which for my big goals of wanting to be a mother is uh not great so when they first diagnosed me and told me that uh hearing that I would not be a mom or that I would be infertile or whatever the hell you want to call it was more devastating to me than than the cancer diagnosis like at that point I honestly just would have rather died than not be a mom or to have that even thought that that would be a consideration in my life to not do that. Obviously, that did not happen, and I went through treatment. Um, and my best friend, she stayed in my hospital room every single day that I was there, except for when I had to get a bone marrow transplant. But she slept in a um, a recliner for a week. Was that a yeah. Well, yeah. And she she bossed my doctors around. She, she got shit done that I couldn't have done. God bless her. Yeah, she...
1: It's a good friend. I hope you uh I hope you got something good for her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: she's she's a great friend. She's a real one. Um shout out
1: to the real friends out here that are holding down their their friends. No, regardless of what what has happened in the past. There's some good hearted, good spirited human beings in this world. Because uh I mean, that's something that's tough to deal with, you know. It's something that you kind of did on your own too. And like she took it upon herself to be like, Hey, I'm gonna do this with her
2: yeah and she did God
1: bless and
2: her. she really st- uh stepped up when I couldn't and she I mean she was even there during a, a one hospital stay in particular and I was really sick um so after actually the first the first round of chemo is the worst they call it um, the red devil chemo that they give you and you have such a high chance of um, infection from the first treatment that they usually actually keep you in the hospital for a month. And I was like, oh, hell no. i I got to get back to the gym. Like, sorry, but no. Um, and my dad was getting married. So he his wedding was scheduled for the eighth day after I started treatment. And I told my doctors, I'm like, I have a wedding to go to. I'm walking my dad down the aisle. I was giving him away. Oh, okay. um, yeah, it was a very sweet moment. Side note, he was a serial dater, and all of his girlfriends were just, oh, my God, the worst after the worst after the worst of the worst until he finally met his wife now who is just an mm-hmm. incredible lady. And so I was like, listen, you found a good one. I have to give you away because I have suffered from all of these girlfriends that you've brought around. Like, please let me do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they, the doctors told me, listen, your counts are not going to recover by the, this time. If you can get your white blood cell counts to a one by this day, you can go. But just know that you'll likely be back here for an infection in a week. And I'm like, that's fine. I just need a week freedom, whatever it takes. And my counts recovered. And I got let out. I walked my down, down the aisle. I was back in the hospital, like they said, about a week later with sepsis. Oh. And my best friend was there having to make all of these medical decisions in case I didn't wake up. And I did, obviously, because I'm still here
1: um you are an anointed being i will say this <laughs> i will tell you that um yeah you, you have an energy about you um and the you know during the course of this whole story i'm sitting here and i'm thinking i'm like this this woman is a warrior bro legit well thank you like, I appreciate you're very welcome <laughs> i mean i'm listening to it and i'm really like soaking it all up and um you you've you've, you've been through hell and high water i mean and you're standing here. You seem to be a very positive, very outgoing human being. Smile on her Smile face. Smile on her face. Right. Even yeah, when man. I'm
2: talking about all this horror, these horrible things that have happened. To yeah, me. you just you, you have a you have
1: a very light energy with you. Um, Thank you. Um, uh, this is something that I'm starting to realize. I've been like ignoring this my whole life. I'm really good with like energies and I've always been receptive. Like I, I've walked into rooms and be like, no, nah, I don't need to be here. I'm the and same I'll, way. Yeah, like I walk into a room and be like, yeah, I got to get out of here. So I'll make my rounds and i well, just get out of did there.
0: That when she pulled in the parking lot, I'm like, I gotta get the
1: fuck out. Who are these guys?
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah,
1: I, I mean, um, I just want to give you credit for for being this strong, resilient woman, and um, going through what you went through and still having a positive outlook on life. Um, a lot of people. I, I had a friend who just recently lost her mother. Um, my mother had like a 20 year bout with, with cancer and, um, you know, subsequently succumbed to it. And she is so angry right now. And there's nothing I could say or do or tell her that's going to bring her back to a place where she's happy. You know, she's questioning like, you know, her God, whatever she is that she believes in. And, and, um, you know, I was kind of stuck because you know, she, she called me and was like, listen, this is how I'm feeling. And it was just all anger. And I'm like, well, there's a greater purpose at work here. You know what I mean? And um, I can't give you the answer. Whatever it is that you believe in or whatever source that you go to will tell you it. You just have to have faith and, like, just be still. And that was the first time she listened to me during this whole, like, thing. She goes, I think you're right. I just think I need to, like, be still and um, relax. And I'm going to send her this podcast because I think this might make her – around the corner a little bit quicker
2: well i hope it does i hope that it does help It this definitely will i mean
1: i mean i'm pretty sure it's gonna be people listening to this uh some tears in their eyes bro. like we're not even done yet you know so
0: how (laughs) long did the treatment really go for um about
2: six months so after i had done the chemo and the ivf i still needed a bone marrow transplant because i had one specific gene mutation that is Basically, one of the worst ones to have because mm. it increases your chance of relapse by like 85%. Like, the chances of survival without a transplant is much a death bad. sentence, basically. There's like nothing you could really do. So, meanwhile, all this time, I'm very naive in the beginning of my treatment because I'm like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we'll get a donor, thinking it's like
0: super easy. I was gonna ask super you about easy. That tra- super hard. Donor. And- There was not
2: a single match for me on the registry. Now, normally, if you are a Caucasian, you have higher chances just because of how many people are on the registry. It's predominantly Caucasians. So um, if you are of any other ethnicity or background, it's much harder to find a match. Therefore, um, if anybody is listening who would love to donate um, their bone marrow or sign up, you can go to... um, be the match.com and it's super easy. They send you... Um, put
1: that in the description, too. Yeah, they
2: uh, send you a kit. It's totally free. All you do is swab your cheek, you send it back, and you're just on the registry. And if you are a match with somebody, they'll contact you, wow. and you could save a life. But there was no match for me. Um, so that was kind of a bummer. And my brother wasn't a match. My father was a half match, but they don't prefer older um, donors just because the quality of the bone marrow, I guess, is not as great or the chances aren't as high. Yeah. And my cousin, he, in the beginning of my treatment, he begged to get tested. And I was like, no, no, it's fine. Like, my brother, he'll, he'll be oh, a match, gosh. blah, blah, blah. Um, they'll find a match on the, on the registry because insurance wasn't going to approve it. Yeah. Well, they actually even denied my chemo because it wasn't um oh. medically necessary, supposedly. Yeah. This so is. we could talk for five more hours on my thoughts on the medical system, but I will save that for another time. Um We're
1: going to part two of this. Don't so
2: after my brother wasn't a match, then insurance was like, Okay, we'll we'll test him. My cousin was a match. And that's incredibly rare, actually um See? so anointed you are divine intervention divine that intervention. he was ah, so wow. persistent to get tested and he was the only person on the planet who was a match to me that they could find first cousin uh yeah Shit, man. yeah so it was a half match but listen i'll take a half match over a no match Yeah, absolutely um and he was in the military or he is in the military he's actually in guam right now um for like three years
1: my cousins in Guam right now in the Air Force oh really yeah, he's, he's uh
2: he's in the Navy okay yeah he's a spectacular young man and I don't only say that because he saved my life but um anyway I digress uh so he's in the military and he was stationed in Virginia and they wouldn't let him come up and the military wouldn't yeah there was mm, like a whole sounds, thing with um right. approved days or vacation I don't know and they they Looked at my um, surgery or what he needed to do as an elective procedure. Meanwhile, this elective procedure was the only thing it's that was going to life. save my life. So I got on the phone with the Red Cross. Uh, my grandparents and my um, my grandparents and my aunt they got on the phone with whatever mayors or any kind of government officials that they could. Um, and it's ultimately ultimately the Red Cross that. Stepped in and basically told the military, like, listen, this is a life-saving procedure. Uh, Red Cross. And they came through. And he was able to come up and donate his marrow. And I was able to get the transplant. And
0: Wow. So now yeah. when you see all you motherfuckers that laugh at the Red Cross when they're outside, you know, saying that they're scamming, you know, you give that yeah. dollar.
2: It's not just donating blood. And I didn't even think that the Red Cross would do it. stuff yeah. like this. And they did. So. so surgery
0: goes, he makes it success, and
2: Yeah. And, and this whole time, like I'm trying to figure out the whole IVF things. So I was trying where to, where you living at that time? Then? Um, I was in, still in Piscataway, but I was living in like an Airbnb closer to the hospital because they don't really want you to be any further than an hour away mm. uh, or really 30 minutes away. Because if you were to get an infection um, and you're, your temperature is rising like you have a very small window to get treated um and i did end up getting an infection and did have to be rushed there so that yeah that's a very real thing so i wasn't really living at home for the majority of my treatment um and yeah so i we went to the hospital and i had my whole stay there he donated um i had to do one last round of chemo or technically three last rounds of chemo and then i did full body radiation um twice a day for four days before the actual transplant and that's sucked oh my god that sucked painful it was the worst exhaustion and pain i've ever felt in my life it felt like my soul had left my body like i can't even describe the lifeless feeling that it leaves you with and i was i mean i managed treatment actually really well i was still in the gym i actually pulled the deadlift pr um halfway through treatment
0: did they know that you were in the gym
2: Shit. Um, sort of. So it's funny because in the beginning they
0: they were so worried about infections. Yes.
2: Yeah, so I had to get a pick line in Wait, my what, arm. A fucking bubble suit. That <laughs> <thing>? <laughs> I mean, I broke so many rules. Anybody who's listening to this, who don't is, do what you is, did, don't do what I did. I have to put a disclaimer on here. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. seriously. <laughs> but they tell you because you have a pick line, so it's like an exposed. um uh like, IV sort of thing. That's mm-hmm. the way that they can administer your chemo, chemo and yeah. medications, especially if you do end up there in a critical position. They can easily, um, you know, get to you whatever it is that you need. And, but that opens to be, opens you up to infection. And I didn't know at the time, but there's also a really high risk of um, brain bleeding from, like, the treatment and just, like, everything. Um, and... <laughs> Yeah, it's so like, I wasn't aware of that, and I didn't really know that was the risk I was running this whole time that I was lifting in the gym amidst cancer treatment. So, I mean, people in the gym knew. Oh Maybe yeah, they had the thing. Coming, yeah, um, um, actually, or,
1: I don't want to hear no excuses from nobody. Get your ass to the gym.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Skr- what was
1: your deadlift PR?
2: Three sixty. Yeah.
0: 360.
1: I would give it. I'm gonna hit it with the applause for that. Yeah, hit that, man. I'm gonna hit that applause for I that. I would probably say thirty.
0: Sheizen. Maybe thirty percent. That might. Be, I think thirty percent of of men within the New York City Police Department probably can't yeah, Absolutely, that. bro. Absolutely. <laughs> and Nikki's here pulling that with cancer.
2: Yeah. So that. I mean, that was cool. And oh, I. Man. I really do think that because I continued to exercise and lift listen i think i pushed it way what further self- how was
0: the self-talk in your mind in your labyrinth um like were you like i'm gonna do this like and eh, like i mean i'm gonna make this and this is it or i just this-
2: wanted my life to be as normal as possible like mm. i was so badly just not wanting to be the cancer girl and at this point because i was so heavy into the powerlifting community and they really stepped up for me because my best friend created a gofundme mm. and we rate and i didn't want her to I was like, no, I got this. This is me being Little Miss self-independent. I can do everything. I'm like, no, it's fine. No big deal. We raised over like $30,000. And it is the only reason that I financially, I say this loosely, survived because I'm still in medical debt now. But it's the only reason that I was able to pay my bills, um, not have to move in with family, keep my apartment. (sighs) Like they raised a lot of money for me. Um, so I'm like very indebted to the whole community for really showing up for me in my moment of need. Um, but I really just wanted my life to be as normal as possible. So I did what I did or what I had to do to survive, to, you know, put blinders on, and just okay. get through it. Just kind of one day at a time, one day at a time. And I mean, being diagnosed at cancer with cancer at 29, 29. years old, when I was otherwise a perfectly healthy you know, person was shocking. It was devastating. I mean, it just totally rocked my world because now I'm face to face with the potential of dying.
1: Let me ask a question. Did, did the thought of like death creep into your mind? And if, and and if so, what, what was like your response to that? I got to ask this question because uh, somebody, somebody asked me a question, right? Uh, And the question was, uh, if someone gave you an, uh, an envelope with the, with the date of your death, would you open it? And I said, Absolutely not. Because I try to live my life right now as we speak, twenty four hours at a time. I don't look too far down the down down the road. Um, I don't pay attention to my past because there's a lot of things that have happened to me that I've, you know, persevered and got through. So I don't look backward. I just I am like one step at a time. So it's it's twenty four hours at a time. That's how I live. If someone said, Hey, listen, man, like, like in this envelope right here, this is like the day you're gonna I said, No, keep that shit right there because I don't want nothing to do with it. Like what was your 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 mindset, um,
2: because
1: you were in the trenches, like you're getting chemo. You said you feel exhausted. Yeah, like
2: I was, well, so I guess we can backtrack for a minute because at the time I was started dating this guy, and I was just infatuated with him. And I, I mean, like anybody that I or in the past I would have a really strong attachment to, and um, it, I would just think that I'm so in love with them that this is my soulmate. Like I would just be obsessed with them. And I felt really hard for this guy. We started dating. I say dating loosely because, um, he doesn't really consider that we were dating, but we were, it's very weird. Um, so that's was like kind of his dirty little secret and like not public about anything. Um, but we were very much like together. He would come to my infusions. Um, we would, uh, or he would like go grocery shopping for me like do all these boyfriend things. Anyway, so he had gifted me this book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And All right, sorry. That book changed my life. And it was the first like I guess body of words that I could sort of make relate to with. understand and relate to a little bit, but it also proved to be like a, a guiding ship of like how to overcome this really hard thing, which was death, cancer and death. the potential of death. And it really just started to uh, get the wheels turning in my brain to think of things differently and to change my perspective on life. And this is why even to this day, I say that cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. I love that it happened to me.
3: Like and a I know stoic that sounds. Sa- mindset. I
2: know that sounds crazy no, to a lot not. of people, maybe, it does but it doesn't sound crazy at all. It, it gifted me a lifetime of perspective that I would have never had otherwise. I mean, sure, I have all these other perspectives from every other trauma in my yeah, life, yeah. but uh, facing death or the potential of death is yes. very different than, and not to say that one is better than the other because all trauma is trauma. Yeah. But that was a little bit Different. So no Different. difference.
0: difference. Yeah. Um, Did they give you any reasons or like uh, cause causes of like how you ended up being cancer? Or was it like hereditary cancer?
1: or something? Um,
2: Some no. Some genetic anomaly.
0: Remember like 45 minutes ago I was like, I'll wait. That said like, yeah. Anything?
2: So no, because there's nothing that really runs in my family with it. Um, My grandfather had cancer twice um, on my dad's side. He and I are actually like... Two peas in a bond. Um, You're your grandfather? Yeah. And he had cancer twice. Um, so he's a two time cancer survivor. Um you kind know it was? He had lymphoma, which is a blood mm-hmm. cancer. Oof. And mine was blood cancer. Yeah. So they think there could be some, some link between them. Some hereditary, something like um, that. But honestly, I believe that it was from Say it. my traumas as a kid. And I believe that the timing is not a coincidence that this happened. Six months or so af- hit and
0: yeah. the thing.
2: after uh, my trial. Well, it was really more almost a year to the trial, but um, mm. six months after so. sentencing and when I had the opportunity to give my victim statement or my victim impact statement, mm-hmm. although I don't like to say victim, but um, that's what it was. And I think that I had to go through the trial first before the universe or God or whomever Mm-hmm. Had this, you know, this horrible thing happen to me because I wouldn't have been able to survive it if yeah. if I hadn't addressed that first. Like if I hadn't started to heal from that trauma and started the process of learning how to fight for myself, how to stand up for myself, how to take control over my life, um, all of those things, and that really put that mindset into motion. And then six months later, what, well, I get cancer. There's no coincidence.
1: Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I know it's a somewhat similar story. Um a friend of mine had went through, like, a very tumultuous situation with the, her then-husband, and uh, she ended up developing some, like, weird cancer. Um, and thank God she beat it, but, like, they have to, like, you know, closely monitor her situation. But she had went through a shit ton of trauma. And then that got into that spot. And this is what I try to tell people, man, honestly, like try to control what you can control um, and how you react to certain things. Um, like I'm very big on peace. Like that's like, like I'm all about that right now. Cause I I have lived many lives. <laughs> and in that whole little jumble of life, I've experienced a lot of heartbreak. Some like to, some tumultuous things have happened but um, I think the older I've gotten, the more wise I've become. And I know I can control how I respond and react to certain things. And that has saved my life because I used to be a very impulsive young man. I'd be the guy quick to punch somebody in the mouth or something or <laughs> or, or do something outlandish. And I, I, you know. I mean, same. You know, and you can't live your life like that. You know, the, the outcome is that you're going to end up, you know, you know, you're risking your freedom or you're going to do something you're going to regret later on down the line. Like I've been posed with, Several different, you know, opportunities to to do like really malicious things in, re, in response to some things that have happened to me, and I've taken the higher road. And for you know, for whatever reason, you know, I'm still here, and there's some people that I know that I grew up with that didn't take that, you know, outlook, and they're not around anymore. So I'm just like, forever grateful that I'm able to wake up, like, just do things, move freely, just do what I can. Um, you know, I have a lot of outward gratitude because I know like this. Life is, should, should never be taken for granted. Like people go to bed and they think that you're going to wake up tomorrow, you're going to be 100% health, or that the people around you are going to remain there. And that's not the case. We, the, life is very fragile. Life comes at you fast. And it's, fa- yeah, man. Amen to that. But um, I mean, I've, I've gained so much inspiration from this story, man. I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I'm really happy you said that because that's what I was going to bring up in the beginning. Have you ever heard of the psychologist Gabriel Matte? Yeah. Okay, so he just wrote a book, not too long ago, within a year, called The Myth of Normal.
2: Oh, I haven't read that one.
0: And it's basically like The Myth of Normal, how like, I'm normal, you're not normal, or this person's normal, and they're not normal, right? But like, what is the definition of Listen, I'll tell you, I'm not normal. What is the, de- <laughs> what is the definition of normal? But in his book, and when I'm done with this, I'm going to bring out my phone and see if I can find some, because um, I did a, a post and I had it, and I... I wish I was prepared for this, um, sati- like uh, studies and statistics on primarily females with, you know, I'm not a therapist, right? You, need, have, you never even saw one, but no, we can know that. which is the surprising thing. I don't want to say we can know, but like clinically diagnosed with like PTSD, you said about the, you know, the anxiety, depression, probably, mm-hmm. the bulimia, you know, who knows if there's even like bi- bipolar in there when you're going up and down. Who knows? I'm not saying, but yeah. Females, for some reason, are, and I don't have the number, I'm going to try to look it up, highly more likely to develop cancer. And ovarian cancer was in there. So I was like, if she says ovarian cancer, I'm going to write the stress, right? So there was a girl, and a trigger warning in the book, um, that she was feeling like symptoms, right? Um, But she was raped. And she never told anybody until she was diagnosed with cancer. And like no one in her family was cancer, you know? So I don't mean to... You know I'm very happy that you brought that up because it's just yeah. like people might be listening and be like oh man like that's like bullshit but like no it's not people don't understand and like um, there's a book out the there Stress. that I'm reading right now called Brain Energy Dr. Chris Palmer he's a psychiatrist in Harvard he's Brain Energy gonna, he's actually gonna be our guest speaker on responder talk tomorrow. Oh, very cool okay and he talks about metabolic health okay is mental illness is metabolic health of the brain and how they're so connected. And the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, and the cells, and what happens? What is cancer, right? When the cells get destroyed and they don't grow back properly, the destruction of the cell, it's all linked.
2: Oh, yeah. And 100%. imagine just living under that kind of stress, like in your body, in your on a cellular literally level. Literally 20
0: years of your life. Yeah. I don't know how. And then not saying power, you know, power, what, is, what is powerlifting, right? It's intense stress to our bodies and our muscles and our nervous system over and over, right? So- what that what that happened like pos like it just
2: it created may, a whole snowball effect and maybe you were just like
0: your mind was so focused on like I got to bring this motherfucker down we don't do we like is there an exact date where like we don't know when like cancer has been in your body for that long yeah. right we have no idea
2: no idea I mean leukemia does develop very rapidly okay. so I mean when I started exhibiting symptoms I it must have been less than two months about two months before I was diagnosed in the in the emergency room. So it happened very quickly. Um but I I really think that after the trial and sentencing and all of that like it just released, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Because it's weird when I think back to even the um the trial and when I first heard that guilty, 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 guilty 12 times in a row. Actually, technically like almost 42 times in a row because they had to go through each juror had to say guilty for every single count. So that was just like music to my ears hearing that over and over and over and over. That was amazing. Um, But it felt like an out of body experience. Like Mm. it, it felt like something had been lifted off of my shoulders. Like, like not even just like a weight lifted off my shoulder, like something visceral and deep within my soul. It just evaporated. Like, it was like I was looking down on myself. This probably sounds insane, but, like, that's all. that's the best of that I can explain, the feeling. Um, and then I think that just got all the the wheels turning, and boom, cancer, six months later. What a party.
1: <laughs> this might have been the heaviest podcast I've ever done <laughs> in my entire life. I tried right. to warn you guys. and I've been doing this a long time, man. <laughs> I've been doing this since, like, 2018, and this is the heaviest one I've done. Um, I think I've recorded over a hundred something podcasts. I got some skin in the game, and this <laughs> one, this 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 took me for a ride.
2: Yeah, sorry. No, no, <laughs> no,
1: no, sorry at all, man. i the, the greatest part about podcasting is hearing different people's stories, their views, their opinions, their experiences. Um, peeking into the window of somebody else's life. It's very interesting, and and I said it before. Like you just you you still have a very warm, beautiful soul. Some people would be jaded and and callous and is just upset at life. But you know, even you know even what you said like you know like cancer was, a, was like one of the best things to happen to you. You don't really get people who have that kind of lens on life, you know. So,
2: well, I appreciate that. And I wasn't always this like warm positive. Oh, oh yeah, no, like, no. I'm
1: I'm pretty sure that that this is just yeah. where life has brought you.
2: I mean, I feel like I've lived so many different lives, and mm-hmm. there have been so many versions, versions of, you, of yeah. me, like even when I think back to my, like my younger years, that was such an unhealed version of myself. Like I can just see all of the ways in which I'm acting out Mm -hmm. and the behaviors that I've exhibited, the actions that I've taken, the actions that I haven't taken, how I've treated myself, how I've treated others, how I've talked to myself, how I've looked at myself, my relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are all things that you carry throughout all this time that you're trying to deal with and navigate these really hard things. And I really think it took cancer for me to get my shit together, for me to open my eyes and to see everything that was the issue and start to try to unpack a little bit at a time, you know, my attachment issues, uh, how I grew up, my inner child, like all of these things that I'm just like chipping away at, or have been chipping away at, mm. rather, to be the best version of myself, to take control over my life once once again, and break away from the narrative that I was a part of my whole life.
1: Yeah. All right, well, well Frankie, we got like an hour. It's like almost an hour <laughs> forty minutes, bro. We got to wrap yeah, this it up. Is some good shit. Um,
0: um, I'm just trying to find this can't. I got a whole study of women in, in ovarian cancer, but. Yeah, just go back to that book, Gabriel Mate. Yeah, uh, but
2: that's—I mean—that's a very real thing, and I know it sounds pretty woo-woo to some people, but I mean, that's your body is in that fight-or-flight mode, it's with survival cancer mode. And cancer. Yeah. All yeah.
1: right, oh, so. I, listen, I, I can definitely relate because I've—I've I've heard this before, so. It's oh.
2: actually my dad who, um, who mentioned this to my doctor, and this is before I even started thinking about that link, and he's like. Oh well, uh, you know, I I, re- I read an article that sometimes trauma can like express itself in into cancer or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and my doctor was like, actually, yeah, that can happen. So listen, my doctor says so, so <laughs> it must be the must be the case.
1: Mm-mm-mm.
0: And so that this story here, have you ever, like shared like any groups or shared this like, or ever think about like coming joining like groups like that or no?
2: Um. I haven't, but yes. And actually, it's even interesting timing that you guys reached out to me to do this podcast because I've actually always wanted to share my story on a a greater... Well, I haven't always wanted to share my story on a greater scale, but I have felt an urge or like a need to share my story. We're very
0: honored, 100%. Absolutely. Well, I
2: mean, I'm honored to be here um, because I've always had... Sort of like an imposter syndrome, like oh, people have definitely had it way worse than me, so mm-hmm. like, who am I to speak about this? Even yeah. though, I mean, on paper, it's like trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma. So yes. I think I'm an expert yeah, that's like at this point. A little bit
0: of like survivor's guilt, like, well, I'm still here, so yeah,
2: yeah. And and because I think, no, I think I know, I am so grateful for the many amazing things that I have in my life. Like, look, my life has not been easy. I have had hardship after hardship after hardship but we all do we all have hard things i think maybe mine's a little bit more compounded (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that's not to take away from the beautiful things in my life the blessings that i have in my life um and i think because i lean so heavy into the gratitude or i make an effort to at least that it's able to offset some of the the tragedy (laughs) you know
1: you will yeah
2: but because of that too I, i look at it like well, not, not so much now, but I have in the past where it's like, well, you know, people come out of war with no legs, like people lose their whole families in house fire, like really, really crazy things happen to people. So in my, in my eyes in the past, it's been like, oh, a little childhood sexual abuse, a little cancer. Eh, that's nothing. Because for so long too, that was my reality. So I was like, oh, this is normal. People mm. just endure. People just have shit hands at life sometimes yeah. that's that's what people go through you i guess the cards you dealt with yeah. yeah so i was always like oh i who am i to speak yeah. about this yeah but yeah, yeah i've been wanting to actually share that a little bit more so it's kind of divine timing i guess yeah. you
1: could say yeah listen man we are we are the king of that, <laughs> I'll tell you that. thank you um you want to ask a little exit questions or? yeah
0: thank you so much first of all um this is gonna be i'm definitely gonna this is like a Great, gent for me. Thank you for helping me stay sober tonight,
2: 100%. It's my pleasure. Um,
0: going to, hopefully they heard it, I'll say it again. Another thank you. Thank you for helping me stay sober tonight. A uh, few questions for you before we wrap up. I
2: got some answers for you.
0: Some of my hard ones. It ain't nothing <laughs> too hard, so don't worry about it. First question, <laughs> yes. usually not on the uh, the list here, but not only are you a emotional warrior, okay, you're a physical warrior as well. What? Why the switch from powerlifting to combat sports now jiu jitsu and muay thai yes so it's really quick why switch and what do you enjoy better
2: so jiu jitsu for sure um i so after i had gotten sick and after i was finished with treatment and everything i was trying to get right back into powerlifting and just like resume life as normal um life was no longer normal my body was totally different um it just didn't fit in my life anymore. And I tried to make it fit. I forced it until the universe or God or whatever deity you believe in really made me have to leave because I was pushing my body so hard that I ended up – and I don't even think this is from just that time period, but just the accumulation of years of putting my body under that much stress. I um, ended up hurting my back really bad, and I herniated and bulged. like have bulged discs in almost my entire lumbar spine. So this was – before a competition that I was trying Steel. to do. And I was in meat prep, and so when I'm in competition mode, I'm like blinders on, like nothing else is gonna come in the way. And I was still trying to train through it, I was still trying to do this meet. For some reason I had it in my mind, like I have to do this meet because then that means that I'm I'm back. I'm like really in it. And I had competed before that, this particular time period, but I like really needed to see this through. And I got into a really bad car accident. Um, this is also a crazy story, just to like sidebar for a second. Um, I, it was like lightly snowing. I was behind a tractor trailer. I was trying to move over. Uh, they were also moving over. They didn't have their directionals on. So by the time that we were both, that I saw that it was way too late. And so I had to drive, like, swerve off the road so that way I wouldn't get rushed. hit or run over by this tractor trailer. I ended up bouncing into the guardrail and that. Flipped me, like, did a basically a, like, a 360 across the highway, oh. across, like, through different lanes. And then I T-boned a tractor trailer. A different one. And. <laughs>
0: How long ago was this? Uh,
2: this was two years ago. Um, And got, I mean, like, I walked yeah. away with almost no injuries. That's, oh, okay, okay. Um, I had, like, a slight hip injury from the it least he fucking yes no seriously Shit.
0: this is the, the date the female version of david goggins yeah. <laughs> if you don't read the book i mean if you don't write a book <laughs> yeah you gotta write a book okay seriously. so
2: i've been told my whole life honestly that i need to write a book and yes. I, i've actually decided that i am yeah
0: write, the, who's gonna write, that, write that book. who's gonna, gonna carry these motherfucking boats man <laughs> holy crap
2: yeah so um so at that point mm-hmm. i was like listen this is not serving me like this is causing me more pain physically and emotionally, because I just wasn't in that place anymore. Yeah. Like I love powerlifting for what it brought me. The French, some of my best friends, most of my best friends actually are from the sport, okay. and they have been lifelong friends. It
0: serve that purpose in that time of your life.
2: Yes. Yes, but like anything, I mean, nothing is meant really to be with us forever, forever. and yeah. we have different seasons and different phases of our life. Um, so at that point, I just realized, like, listen, if this massive car accident isn't going to <laughs> get me to like walk away uh I don't know what it is so I just quit and I decided that it was no longer for me and I walked away and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do next and, and I can't just work out like I don't know what that's like yeah, <laughs> of not yeah. doing something com- not even to like punish myself yeah not yeah. even like in a competitive like want to compete against other people way which I do I love competing. Like I just have such a competitive nature that I feel like I thrive in that kind of arena. And so like, I'm always hungry for it. So just working out is like so boring to me. Um, so mundane. <laughs> but there was um, my gym, my martial arts gym, uh, AMA that I train at now is right next to my lifting gym. And I had done Muay Thai for like three months. I mean, it was nothing. It was like a drop in the pan. Um, actually when I was still going through my eating disorders. I was, like, trying to figure all that out. Um, so I'm like, this seems fun. Like, let me try this again. So I joined, started Muay Thai, did Muay Thai for a year, and then um, I switched over to jiu-jitsu. My, one of my gym friends, uh, and we weren't even really good friends at this time, uh, but she was, like, basically pressuring me to try over jiu-jitsu. And I'm like, no, 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 no it's fine. Uh, but a year later, I decided to, and then I've been doing jiu-jitsu ever since. I'm only a white belt, but –
0: same here.
2: So. It's awesome. It's a different It is world. so much fun. Yeah, and it, uh, it challenges you and, like, your mindset in a totally different way that strength sports do. I mean, you're face-to-face with another person trying to cause harm to you. So then you have to go back into that fight-or-flight mode, but, like, in a calm way, not, you know, with the adrenaline and being crazy.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely.
2: So the very long-winded answer of that is... Jiu-jitsu is my favorite between all the disciples.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. All right, so now to the quick questions. Yeah, I'll try okay. to keep
2: them quick. I get very long-winded.
0: One, We don't mind. One meal to eat for the rest of your life, the same meal, and you don't have to worry about the you know the macronutrient intake or anything. Any, anything you eat is how you're going gonna to
1: stay the same. Ravioli. No hesitation. First time we got oh my ravioli. God. That's I would, it? I, Just ravioli. What, what kind?
2: I don't even care. I just love ravioli. <laughs> love it when.
1: <laughs> She's like ravioli. That's it.
2: <laughs> when I was sick, actually, and I maybe I have like PTSD from it. I don't know, but or some weird like link. You just kept brain raviolis. Link. So I had I had kept most of my weight on Ravioli-ish. throughout treatment, except for it's after treatment, and so I just ate a shit ton of ravioli. I mean, other whole nutrient foods, nutrient dense foods too, but I had lost so much weight and i was trying to gain weight and i have a really hard time gaining weight cuz i'm like more, you know, petite person, it's a little bit difficult. Um i was just eating mass amounts of ravioli and i just love it. I don't know.
1: Ravioli it is. Yeah. Ravioli
0: it is. <laughs> Chef Brian Nikki. Yeah. <laughs> Two lifting movements, I'm going to say i going to say I don't want to say like jam. Uh, you might go like kamora and like, you know, <laughs> butterfly sweep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> butterfly guard. Uh Two mo- movements you could do every day. You can only do two every day.
2: Lifting, or does um, and,
0: and you're not going to get sore, but you only have two. You can only whoa. choose two movements. Squats, every day. number one.
2: Is squats, like my favorite. I just, schwats. I love squatting. Um, and maybe Turkish getups.
3: Ooh, Actually, that's a nice. first.
2: No yeah. one's ever said. I almost
1: help broke your, my wrist doing Turkish
3: getups. Today. No, thank
2: you. Horrible. Off. And very t- difficult, but it's the one exercise that I feel the most connected to my body, and I really like that feeling. It's
1: like a, yeah, See, claro si, I like that.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm perfect so. for the mats.
2: Exactly. Perfect. There's so much uh, carryover yeah. and transfer.
1: You know, you tell me I start doing Turkish get-ups. <laughs> yes. <No>. Fuck. <laughs> it's good for shoulder poppy, health.
0: Plant-based. Yeah. The real jump man get-up. Um, <laughs> I have to figure out a name for that. Um, but, but, but Where are we? We are at one meal. Uh, one person to hang out with. Dead or alive. Oh. And you don't have to never meet, met them before.
2: Oh. Yeah. Same For same the way. day
0: of who you are right now in this present moment, who do you want to spend a day with? Maybe take them to BJJ, put a ghee on them, eat raviolis.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, this is actually Maybe a, this a is tough question. A great
2: question.
1: Yeah. Don't fuck
2: it up. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Dead or alive and nobody that I have met. Or, nobody or that it I've could met. have
0: been it could have been someone that you met, or it could be someone that you've never that maybe you always wanted to meet. Someone famous, someone you looked up to, could be a family member.
2: Probably my grandpa, actually. Oh. Yeah. I like that. He um he's the one that had he's the, the two time cancer survivor and he and I are have like such an interesting um, bond and connection. And connection yes. He's he's just an amazing man and has a lot of really wise life perspectives that he's passed down to me. And if I could spend every single day with him for the rest of my life, imagine how much knowledge and wisdom I would have.
1: That's a fucking great answer. Wow. Plus, he's
2: just so cool. Like, I would love to spend time with him. More time with him.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah.
0: You come, you leave, right? You leave the apartment and we... Send you the message, wait, come back, you forgot something. And now you're like, all right, now really what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> so you, no,
2: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about this the whole way home now.
0: <laughs> so you open up the door, and we're like, we need you to come over here. And you're like, now you want me to come through the wall wall, here and check it out. And there's just like a tarp hanging off the picture frame. We open it up, and it's a door, and it's a time machine. You can go anywhere you want in the future or the past. It could be five, five months ago, five years ago, 50 years ago, 500 years ago. As who you are now. We're like, all right. We'll see you, Nikki. White sweatshirt on. We'll get you red jacket. And you're just going. Where would you go?
2: I would probably go back to my childhood. Not to stop what had happened. I'm glad that that happened, too. I'm actually glad that everything in my life has happened. Um, It's the reason that I am the way that I am now. Mm -hmm. Who I am now. If it was, if it happened, then it was meant to happen for whatever reason, for whatever greater purpose, greater lesson, it's up to me to figure out what that is. Um, But I would go back to younger me and try to instill some kind of wisdom in my younger self to just keep going, to be strong, to, I don't know, give myself some kind of encouraging words to know know how to better brave the storm, maybe, Mm. and sort of navigate whatever hardships that I would end up Encountering in my life, which there's a lot of them, <laughs> so that's the
0: first one we got. I yeah, think, that's the right? first time someone ever said that. Yeah. Uh, well, with that, I'm speechless, and I'm, thank you, thank, thank you. you very much. Uh, we had a great time, even though there's, you know, the ups and downs. But your, like Jay said, your energy, your positivity, your your character in general is just, uh, amazing. And we need we need a lot more people like you in this shows that recovery is possible and um jay you, you have anything for us
1: first time i'm speechless bro yeah. um wow. i'm just honored to be sitting in this room during this podcast and just being being present and in this yeah. space and in this and this energy right now because it's good stuff you feel safe right yes, it's absolutely safe. Safe.
2: well listen i i appreciate it and i appreciate the opportunity to even come on here and share my story and that you guys, and I hope other people uh are wanting to listen to, so this has been honestly a, a great a great privilege so thank, well, thank you thank you again
1: um for our reps for responders family if you listen if you are subscribed to the podcast- to the podcast, please like share, tell a friend to tell a friend helps us reach a bigger demographic helps us get out there, maybe get some more sponsors. We're looking to do that as well so please if you can if you like this episode, share it um you know, send us to somebody who's m- might be going through some things and uh Maybe if they feel like giving up or something like that, you send them this and you hear hit, you hit what this woman's been through and maybe they'll get up on the good foot and get after it, all right? Um, so with that being said, have a blessed and productive one and uh, try not to be a shitty human being, y'all. Enjoy.